This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club. I'm Charity Nebbe. We've been reading The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan, a novel that tells the stories of four mothers, all immigrants to the United States from China, and four of their daughters, first-generation Americans, baby boomers, immersed in a culture that could not be more different from that of their mothers. The mothers fled China following the Japanese invasion that began in 1931. Each woman has a difficult and traumatic past. They found each other at a church in the United States and formed the Joy Luck Club. They, along with their husbands and later their children, gathered each week to share their lives, feast, and play games. In the beginning of the book, we meet June, or Jingmei. Her mother, one of the original members of the Joy Luck Club, the founder, has recently died, and June has been asked to take her mother's place at the mahjong table. But she's really there so that the other members of the club, who she calls her aunties, can tell her a secret her mother took to the grave. That when she left China, she had to leave behind twin daughters from her first marriage. She has spent a lifetime searching for them, but they were found too late. And now the aunties have bought June a plane ticket to go to China and meet her sisters to tell them about their mother. This is a passage from the book just after June learns this overwhelming news. She says, See my sisters. Tell them about my mother. What will I say? What can I tell them about my mother? I don't know anything. She was my mother. I'll let author Amy Tan pick up there. She read this passage in an interview on NPR's Fresh Air with Terry Gross in 1989. Tell them stories of your family here, how she became success, offers Auntie Lynn. Tell them stories she told you, lessons she taught, what you know about her mind and has become her mind, says Auntie Ying. You mother, very smart lady. I hear more courses of tell them, tell them, as each auntie frantically tries to think what should be passed on. And then it occurs to me, they are frightened. In me, they see their own daughters, just as ignorant, just as unmindful of all the truths and hopes they had brought to America. They see daughters who grow impatient when their mothers talk in Chinese, who think they are stupid when they explain things in fractured English. They see that joy and luck do not mean the same thing to their daughters, that to these closed American-born minds, joy luck is not a word. It does not exist. They see daughters who bear grandchildren, born without any connecting hope passed from generation to generation. Amy Tan reading from the Joy Luck Club in 1989. The book became an international bestseller, was turned into a very popular film, and is now considered to be a classic. It was groundbreaking in many ways, and we are going to explore many of those ways with four truly remarkable expert readers today, starting with Shishwen Collins, a retired professor of biology and author of the novel Flowing Water, Falling Flowers. Shishwen, hello! Hi, thank you, Charity, for having me on the show. Well, thank you for being here. Take me back in time. Tell me about when you first encountered this novel. I think I first heard about this novel when I was actually in China. Um, I heard Tan Enmei, the Xi Fu Hui, that's the Chinese uh, words of her book and her name. But I don't think I read the book uh, in Chinese. And uh, I actually watched the movie when I came to the U.S., and then uh, after that, I got the paperback and I read it again this month for the Talk of Iowa Book Club. And now I'm myself is a mother, uh, first generation immigrant mother, raising an American born uh, son. 
and I became a writer myself. So I have completely different understanding. I feel like of the themes of the book, as well as its storytelling uh, voice and uh, just writing in general. Yeah. So you have been in the United States for about 25 years. You came here to study at Iowa State University. When you first read The Joy Luck Club, being an immigrant to the United States from China, tell me what it meant to you then. I I certainly can recognize, uh, you know, the part of the Chinese mothers, you know, the the part. Um, I don't want to say this is stereotyping of mother, but I'm thinking about my mom and I certainly can see uh, her in all the four moms, you know, certain aspects of her. And I said, well, this was really spot on. And I found myself actually dog-earing two pages, like uh, the whole book. Um, one of the page uh, was by uh, Lindo Joan, uh, who says to um, her daughter, when Waverly is worried about being regarded as Chinese, uh, when she visits China, visit China, and Lindo says, you follow my Chinese way out until uh, she learned how to walk out of the door by herself and go to school. And then she said, only her skin and her hair are Chinese. Inside, she's all American-made. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's how I think about myself now, And who's only 12. Um, And here I am uh, more than half a century later than Lindo, and I immigrated to the U.S. under a completely different set of circumstances. Uh, Yet I look at my American-born Chinese son. Um, I was feeling uh, how the mother was thinking at that point. So having grown up in China, maybe you can help us a little bit with the history that's portrayed in this book, because all of the mothers have survived war in China, the Japanese invasion that began in 1931, which was really an incredibly difficult time. Was that something that when you were growing up that your parents or that your grandparents talked about? Yeah, uh, certainly, uh, you know, you've learned that in history lessons um, in China, uh, of course. Um, I I think the historical backdrop that's most clear in this book is told from um, Jim May's mother's point of view, uh, Su Yuan, her story. Um, She fled Guilin, um, to Guilin, actually. That's where she started the the first Joy Lock Club with the women there. And then she had, had to flee again, to Chongqing, uh, and during that journey, that's where she left her two uh, twin daughters. Um, interestingly, Chongqing is actually my mom's hometown, and then Chongqing um, became the capital of China uh, when Japanese army invaded China, and then uh, the government moved the capital from Nanjing to Chongqing because Chongqing is very inland part of China, and the Japanese army had not been able to reach that part of of China, so. Um, I think my family did not have direct experience of the wall because of their geological location, but you certainly hear uh, a lot about uh, a Japanese invasion of China in the 1930s. Uh, I, I think Charity mentioned that, you know, the wall started in 1931, full-on wall uh, of uh, Japanese invasion of China considered the uh, part of Pacific theater of the Second World War. Um, that was between 1937 and 1945, so for eight years. Um, in fact, just recently, on December 13th, uh, China had commemorated the anniversary of the Nanjing Massacre, which started on December 13th of 1937 and lasted about 40 days. And during that period of time, according to some historian, 
Japanese troops killed 300,000 Chinese, mostly civilians, during this period of time. So it was definitely a very dark chapter of Chinese uh, modern history, and um, all the Chinese children have learned about that. Yeah, that really helps to put the experience of the mothers in this book into perspective. And I want to bring our next expert reader into the conversation now. Christine Munoz is a professor in the departments of Spanish and Portuguese and Communication Studies at the University of Iowa. Her work focuses on language, culture, and interpersonal relationships. And Christine, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And I read The Joy Luck Club many years ago. Shishuen read it many years ago. And you also read it many years ago for the first time. Tell me about when you first read this book. I read this book in the early 90s when I was an assistant professor at the University of Colorado teaching intercultural communication. And I had two very small children and was pre-tenure and had absolutely no time for anything, particularly pleasure reading. But um, this book came out and everyone was talking about it. And I read it and thought it was just magical. And um, it led me back to pleasure reading after 10 years away from it, which was graduate school. And it was then, and after reading it again the past month or so, I would say still one of the best books I have ever read. And that said, I would say some of Amy Tan's later books, I think, got even better. I think she is just a phenomenal writer. And yet, um, reading her later work, I could see her voice maturing as she went into different kinds of subject matter. Um, And as I read it this time, I could see I'm a different reader. So it was a real delight to come back to one of my absolute favorite books. And with your focus on intercultural communication, I mean, this may have led you back to pleasure reading, but it also played right into your work. It did. Um, teaching intercultural communication to undergraduates meant that I was always on the lookout for examples that would be compelling for students to read. So I really wanted to assign this book to my class and The problem was it was too long. It was too complicated. My students were not going to read all of it. I did have them read a particular chapter, which is the double face chapter, because there was so much in it. And um, I really hoped that they would go on from that and read the whole book later on with each successive book that I read of Amy Tan's, I felt like she just got better and better. And when I read her memoir, I felt like as different as she and I were as the lives that we had led, somehow she touched so many chords that the the things that she said about her mother and the ways that she and her mother miscommunicated and the ways that they had so much trouble. I said, this is, my mother was more sane and less abusive, thank God, but 
the way that Amy wanted her mother's approval, there was just, there was so much in her memoir that I said, she is telling my life. We are talking about The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. I'm talking with Christine Munoz, a professor in the departments of Spanish and Portuguese and communication studies at the University of Iowa, and Shishuen Collins, a retired professor of biology and author of the novel Flowing Water, Falling Flowers. We will meet two more expert readers in just a moment as we continue our conversation. This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club. I'm Charity Nebbe. We've been reading The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. Published in 1989, it tells the stories of four mothers and four daughters. The mothers are all Chinese immigrants to the United States. They have all survived incredible hardship in their pasts and built new lives in San Francisco. The daughters are first-generation Americans. They're baby boomers. The mothers and daughters struggle to understand each other. But through 16 different intertwined stories, we come to understand and know these women. I have four expert readers with me today. We have already met Shishwen Collins, a retired professor of biology and author of the novel Flowing Water, Falling Flowers. Christine Munoz is a professor in the departments of Spanish and Portuguese and communication studies at the University of Iowa. And Lynn Nugent is also here. She is editor of the Iowa Review, the flagship literary magazine of the University of Iowa. Hello, Lynn. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for being here. And unlike Shishwen and Christine, this is actually your first time reading The Joy Luck Club. Yeah, so my history with it is I distantly remember picking it up at one point close to when it came out, reading a few pages, then putting it down, not because it wasn't good, but because it was maybe too good, if that makes sense, that I would, I, you know, I was afraid I would identify too much, perhaps feel a little bit called out by it. So 30 years ensued of shame. <laughs> and I'm reading such a classic. So thank you, Charity, for this little push. You're welcome. And when you say you might feel called out by it, it also resonates with your personal history. Your mom is Korean, and she survived the Korean War. So these aren't the same generations, but there is a connection to the plots in the novel. Right. My mother is Korean, not Chinese, but she is an immigrant. She was impacted by war, had to leave her home, learn a new language, and eventually had an ungrateful American daughter. <laughs> so it tracks pretty well, I have to say. So in reading it now, did it resonate as deeply as maybe you feared and or hoped? You know, um, what I love about it um, is that while there's all this tragedy, all this maternal sacrifice, just as you're thinking, oh, oh this is so sad, I can't even deal it, it, there are these really funny stories as well of uh, these women's cleverness, their rebellion and resistance. So, I mean, the book is the whole package. It kind of gives you everything. 
Well, and with your literary background, give me that reaction too. thinking about Amy Tan's writing. We know this was her debut novel. She has gone on to write many more books, but uh, just respond to the prose of the book. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, apart from the content, the subject matter, I just really appreciated it as a work of art. Um, The structure was really striking, for instance, um, with all these characters and stories that are so intertwined I think it could easily be confusing and I'm always that person at the movies annoying the people around me by saying who is that again um but you know this all of this um plot rests on this very simple structure of a square there's the four sides of the mahjong table the four mothers the four daughters four sections four chapters per section and it's this kind of stable structure that gets disrupted by the death of one of the mothers. And so then they all, that propels all the characters into motion and they all, they each have a sort of reckoning with the past. So, I mean, I think she does that masterfully um, in terms of, you know, structuring and organizing her book. And then you get little echoes of symbolism all throughout, like later a table does fall over. And of course it was, the one built by the bad American husband. <laughs> um, so, you know, you can kind of read it as a book nerd and be like, I saw what you did there. So yeah. it's really satisfying. <laughs> For sure. And and amazing that she was able to keep all of these different threads straight as a writer. I can only imagine what that organizational process must have been like. And I want to bring our final expert reader into the conversation now as well. Jennifer Halet is an associate professor of instruction in the Department of Sociology and Criminology at the University of Iowa. And her work focuses primarily on gender and family. That feels very perfect for, for this book. Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. And you are also a first-time Joy Luck Club reader, and this also resonates with your personal history. Your mother immigrated, not from China, but immigrated to the United States from Japan. So tell me a little bit about your response to the book. Yeah, um, I think I, uh, similar to um, Lynn, was a little bit nervous about reading the book in terms of how much it might relate to my own experiences and um I found that it did resonate in a lot of ways and it was challenging at some points to read, but I think it also um, allowed me to uh, give myself a little bit more empathy uh, to myself and to my mother uh, by the end of the book, which was a positive takeaway. Yeah, that's a powerful thing. And this novel, as your work focuses a lot on gender and, and this novel is all about women and Some people have accused this book of perpetuating stereotypes, and we'll talk about that a little more deeply in a moment. But these women are such powerful, complicated characters and and just people. Tell me a little bit about how you think about the women in the novel. Yeah, I actually really appreciated this aspect of the novel. I think that Amy Tan did a really good job of Um, making the characters complex and actually fighting um, back against the stereotype of Asian women as being sort of passive and docile. And and the women themselves, you know, at moments, um, the mothers in particular, maybe did embody some of those stereotypes, but they, many of them had moments where they broke away from those, you know, some earlier than others. But um, I read these women as particularly strong and willful and 
and fierce, you know, in their love and commitment to their family and just their ability to, um, you know, the resilience that they had after going through everything they went through. And, and that was something that I really appreciated because I also saw that in my own mother, you know, who I think uh, to many people reads as, you know, a uh, petite, you know, Asian woman, and, and there might be assumptions about her own sort of passivity, but she was anything but passive. And um, I think uh, the the book did a really good job of sort of showing how the mothers and the daughters sort of grappled with some of the cultural expectations for maybe passivity, but um, ultimately rebelled against that, found their own voices, you know, became people outside of just what their culture might have um, demanded from them. And Shishwen, I see you nodding your head. What do you want to add to that? Yeah, I I think it's really interesting. uh, Some of the criticism of Amy Tan uh, making me actually think that we're actually missing maybe a, a bigger question or point that um, why do we think Amy Tan's work should be a representation of all Chinese and Chinese Americans, right? Like if you have a white author then write about an alcoholic father who's white or abusive white mother, you don't just conclude say oh, all white fathers are alcoholic or all white mothers are abusive. And then you accuse the author of uh, stereotyping uh you know, this entire culture, entire population. I feel um, minority uh, authors might have this unfair, undue burden on them because we don't have enough of them. Um, You know, you you just have this one Amy Tan and therefore her story she tells about Chinese and Chinese Americans is painting the picture about this entire group of people. So to me, I feel like some of the criticism um, missed the point of the lack of diversity uh, in our publishing industry, if we have more um, Asian American writers, other writers, minority writers, you know, I'm talking about including, um, you know, uh, gender, um, of course, cultural background, immigration, all of this. And if we have more people write different books with different um, diverse backgrounds, then we'll say, oh, uh, stories of Asians, Chinese or Asian Americans, Chinese Americans are multifaceted. They're not a monolith because we have so many of them and they all have a different voice and they all tell different stories. So, so to me, some of the criticism of Amy Tan of stereotyping Chinese or Chinese Americans, I think was, well, because we, we don't have enough of Amy Tans to, to write stories for us. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Christine, I know that you were inspired after reading this book to read everything that Amy Tan has ever written. <laughs> Not quite, but many. But you've also read her memoirs. And um, there was recently a documentary done by PBS for American Masters called Unintended Memoir. And it's very clear that all of the stories in the Joy Luck Club are inspired by true stories. In fact, there are elements of, of Amy's story and of her mother's story in all the different characters in the novel. I mean, so this really resonates as true. So when, when people say it's stereotypical, I, I feel like, wait, she's inspired by real life. Christine? There are elements of her life, her mother's life, um, in all of these different stories. And yet she comments both in her memoir and in her various interviews that this is not autobiography, that she is often asked, which of these daughters are you? And that that her mother was often asked, 
which of these mothers is you? And she says, none of them. That um, the memory that she tries to work from as a writer is not a memory of events because she was never a chess champion. She was never that kind of prodigy. But she did have a mother who was both an ally and an adversary. So she tries to write from the place of that emotional memory and from remembering how it felt to be in a family where you didn't quite fit and remembering that love from a mother that also pushed you very, very hard. Um, So, yes, her memoir sheds a lot of light on the bits and pieces of every one of these stories that did happen, including her mother's divorce from that bad man. She never mentions him by name, but a pilot in China who was with the Kuomintang and the the daughters that she left behind. That was, that really happened. Um, but um, she's not just dictating that story. She says, uh, when you take an, an incomplete memory and you build on it with your imagination, anything can happen. And that's the magic of creativity. That's the magic of imagination. And she said, it's like having a little sliver under your skin, a splinter. The emotion is the splinter, but I can, I can build a thousand stories out of those splinters. And the great thing about reading several of her novels is that you do see the same splinters over and over again. The hope and the fear, the terror, the worry, the guilt, but also the joy and the humor. She's got just this wonderful, playful, sarcastic sense of humor. You see that over and over again in each of her novels. Let's talk about mothers and daughters a little bit. And and I will say, I don't have um, the, I am not Asian American. My mother is not an immigrant to this country. My grandmother was not an immigrant to this country. And yet, when I first encountered this novel, it just knocked me flat and resonated so much with me. And one of the things that that really touched me about the novel or, or changed me, it, it actually made me think about my grandmother differently, who had gone through some really difficult things. I'm sure she took many secrets to her grave. She was also an incredibly difficult woman and just not all that likable in many, many ways. And this book made me think, wait, you know, what has she gone through? It made me think about her differently and my mother differently and and everybody. And I mean, Lynn, let's let's talk about mothers and daughters because I it's hard to imagine anybody who has a mother not finding a thread in this book that resonates for them. Right. I mean, I don't know any woman who wouldn't say her relationship with her mother is complicated. Um, It's, you know, on one hand, as a daughter, you're trying to separate from your mother, grow up, have your own identity and your own life. So you reject their life choices in sometimes not so nice ways. 
Um, but then, you know, if you're lucky and they're still around much later, um, you can go back to them and try to collect some of that wisdom um, that they do in this book. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think culture, you know, it's pretty, it seems pretty universal to me um, that that these relationships happen that way. And, you know, I think she really, you know, she delves into also grief at losing a mother um, and how do you maintain and continue that relationship when the parent is no longer there. And so, I mean, I think it, you know, speaks to just almost anyone. Jennifer, do you have anything you want to add to that? Sure. Yeah, I think um, uh, this book did a really good job of grappling with sort of both, you know, valid um, interpretations, you know, from both sides, from the mothers and the daughters, interpretations that don't always map on to each other, you know, interpretations of the same situations even, um, but in a way that allows you to empathize with both the mother and the daughter. And that's something I really appreciated about this book. It didn't paint sort of one of those uh, sides of the equation as being the good or the bad one, you know, and even if they had conflicting interpretations or experiences or ways of knowing and reasoning, um, you could see and empathize with with both of them. And you could hold on to that empathy uh, for both of them throughout the book, which I think is a pretty remarkable task on, uh, on Amy Tan's part. Well, I, yeah, I just just as a human being, in addition to as a writer, <laughs> you know, I think about what Christine was just saying a few minutes ago about Amy Tan's life and and her childhood was extremely difficult. And her relationship with her mother was what you would characterize as abusive in many ways. And so the fact that she could dig deep and find this empathy for her own mother, but also to bring us these incredible stories and and help us find empathy for every single character in the book, except maybe the bad American husband <laughs> or the, you know, and the bad husband left behind in China. There are a few characters that you can't you cannot relate to. But I think that 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 is just a part of what makes this book so incredibly powerful. And we are going to take another short break. We'll be back in just a moment. We are talking about The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. And with me, Lynn Nugent. She's editor of the Iowa Review. Christine Munoz, professor in the departments of Spanish and Portuguese and communication studies at the University of Iowa. Jennifer Haylett, an associate professor of instruction in the Department of Sociology and Criminology at the University of Iowa. And Shishwen Collins, who's a retired professor of biology and author of the novel Flowing Water, Falling Flowers. We will continue in a moment. This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is the Talk of Iowa Book Club. I'm Charity Nebbe. We are talking about The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. It tells the stories of four mothers, all Chinese immigrants, and their first-generation American daughters. We, as readers, come to understand and know these women and feel a deep empathy for each one. 
I have four expert readers here with me today. Shishwen Collins is a retired professor of biology and author of the novel Flowing Water, Falling Flowers. Christine Munoz is a professor in the departments of Spanish and Portuguese and Communication Studies at the University of Iowa. Lynn Nugent is editor of the Iowa Review. And Jennifer Halet is an associate professor of instruction in the Department of Sociology and Criminology at the University of Iowa. And I want to talk about identity because it's such an important part of this novel. And Shishwen, maybe you can start us off in thinking about the mothers in the book. When they come to the United States, of course, they bring with them their experiences that they have had in the past, but they have to build new lives in the United States and in so many ways shed that old identity. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, uh, so like I mentioned earlier that when I read the book again as a now um, not only a first-generation immigrant to the U.S., but also an immigrant mom, um, and it, I started to think about even, you know, uh, I came to the U.S. in 1907, which was like a long, long time later uh, compared to these mothers, but I felt that what they had to go through, you know, I, I was going through the same thing, probably, you know, the language, you know, you, I learned English, uh, unlike probably most of them never even learned English back in China, right? But then when I go to hy or I couldn't understand what the cashier was talking about, because you're using slants, and you're trying to like figure out the language. And on top of that, you feel like you have to work a lot harder than the Americans here, because whatever you do is going to be representation of your people, you know, like, I don't want people to say, well, if you made a mistake or, you know, they'll say, oh, Chinese students are such and such. So I, I don't know if they've gone through this, but they were really trying to hold down to the Chinese identity, as you could see in, in the book, the mothers, right? And then they are disappointed when when the children seems to be not even want to have any part of that. So um, I kind of mentioned that I dog-eared the two pages and one of the page was um, by Lindo, the mother, right? She was talking about how her daughter was, um, owning Chinese in her skin and in her hair, but inside she's all American made. But then a few pages later, and then I also dark eared um, was when Jim May remembered what her mom said to her when she was 15 and she vigorously denied that she had anything Chinese whatsoever below her skin. So this is her mother said to her, can be helped. Someday you will see. It's in your blood waiting to be let go. And Jimmy did. I mean, as soon as she enters China with her father and she felt differently, she felt how her blood is running differently, how her skin felt the, the sensation of air differently, and she becomes Chinese. So it really made me think about what exactly shapes our identity. Um, could it be genetics? I mean, as a biology professor, I really would like to think genetics play a really big part of that. I'm also thinking about could, could we be... Um, displaying different identities when we're in different places, you know. Um, for, for those Chinese mothers, I'm, I'm sure they, they feel differently how they're going to present themselves to the world when they were in China, when they were here. Me personally, I feel like I could be defending America to my Chinese friends when they criticize America. But then when you hear American politicians say something about China, and I feel like I was talking to the screen, I say, no, you're, you're wrong. Here's what? The, the reason we want to have different identities presented to the world is we don't want to be seen as the other. 
Yeah. And I don't think Amy Tan has answers to that either, because we do have these contradictions within the book and within each character as well. And Lynn, you know, thinking about first-generation Americans, these women, the daughters in this story, they feel like they are part of their mother's cultures and yet not quite. And then they feel like they're part of the culture they're growing up in, but not quite. I mean, there's more of what Shishwen is saying also for the first-generation American daughters, right? Yeah. And I mean, in my case, born and raised in America. I couldn't feel more American, um, specifically Midwestern. I can't speak Korean. I wouldn't last two minutes there. But then, you know, there's can be this disconnect, um, you know, with being having that Korean heritage, you look different than the average American and realize that in some sense, you are perceived as an outsider. So that's a big recipe for an identity crisis. And that's what a lot of, you know, Naomi Tan's characters are navigating. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. And then there's this, you know, being the child of an immigrant, you have this protective feeling almost for a parent who's not a native speaker. You're the buffer between them and the world. And, you know, I felt a lot of secondhand frustration um, at the way my mother was sometimes treated, um, you know, the condescending way you people get treated when they're not fluent in English. And I just wanted to yell, my mother teaches calculus, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she came here, she learned a whole new language. And so there's this, you know, defensiveness that I had. And, um, you know, just like probably the drive to overachieve to prove something. Um, so I, you know, I resonated with the character of Jingwei when she was trying to be a prodigy in something and couldn't figure out what to be a prodigy in, but she knew, you know, she wanted, had to be one while well, she was under a lot of pressure from her mother and I was not under that same pressure, but still, you know, it would have been great to be like, see, look at me, um, you know, I've made it. Right. Well, you have done pretty darn well for yourself, I have to say. Um, be before we leave this topic of identity, I, I want to bring up one of the stories about, um, she went by Betty in the United States, and, and this is that that kind of drives home what happened to her when she came to the United States. They got her birthday wrong. They changed her name. She's married to an American man. I mean, she's in this whole new culture. And I mean, Jennifer, what are your thoughts about that? Because, for example, she, she I think she was originally born the year of the tiger and then her birthday was changed. And that was such a big part of her identity. It was almost like she was a different person. Yeah, I think. um that was an aspect of the book that definitely resonated with me and, you know, my experience with my mother. And again, she isn't Chinese and I don't want to do, you know, any conflating of various different Asian identities. Nor do but, I, um, and I'm sorry she was Japanese. I, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Um, I don't think any of us have. But um, so my mother passed away uh, six years ago very suddenly. And um, reading this book uh, made me think a lot about what um, what I still don't know about my mom and the secrets that mothers have and the way that they strategically might reveal some of those things to you at different points in your life, but how um, there's still just so much that you 
you don't know. And it was a little bit uncanny um, reading about the the change in the birth date uh, because my mom had a similar experience. And I actually wasn't aware of that until she passed and there were conflicting birth dates on various documents. And it made me pause and, and think to myself, you know, what else don't I know? What, you know, what was her life like back in Japan? And um, what did she have to give up? And um, she didn't talk about it so much um, in, in a similar way to uh, Ying Ying in the book. And um, so I could definitely relate to that. And I think, you know, anyone, even if their parents aren't um, immigrants, um, can probably relate to this point when you, you know, enter into adulthood and you, you step back and you see that your parents are people. And then you start to realize that their stories are probably a lot more complex than you even, than you even know. Yeah, for sure, sure. And before we run out of time, I want to talk about communication in the novel because, you know, communication is is often difficult between mothers and daughters. But Christine, I mean, here these characters are trying to cross this this generational gulf, the the gulf between mothers and daughters, but also this cultural gulf as well, which is not it's not just language. It's also how you communicate this, this idea of sharing all your feelings and talking about everything. That's a very American cultural moray. This was not the way that the mothers in the book uh, were raised at all. Uh, tell, tell me some of your thoughts about how these mothers were trying to connect with their daughters and vice versa. Well, and the very beginning opening scene is quite poignant when the, the remaining aunties welcome the the younger june and they say that they scold and they boast and they do everything except we love you and we're going to take care of you they they say that in everything except words so they say that in all the chinese ways and none of the american ways and one of the things that um, Amy Tan is just a, a master at is conveying the differences in cultural codes, that this is how the Chinese mothers said, we love you, you're, more, you're as important to us as any child of our own, and we're gonna take care of you. And to Americans reading it, the fact that they never say any of that in words would be quite obvious. And that happens in the opening scene and it happens in ways that resonate through the book when the daughters often say they feel like they're speaking a different language from their mothers. Even if they happen to be speaking the same natural language, sometimes she says, I spoke English and my mother spoke Chinese. But you know, that's not the problem. That's not the communication difference. I think all of us probably spoke to our mothers in the same natural language and often felt like there's no communication here. And partly it's generational and partly it's biological that this is the woman who gave birth to us. And so there are going to be moments where there's no way to communicate. And I think Amy Tan did such a wonderful service to us all by capturing the fact that 
it wasn't a flawed human being on the other side of the equation that made that happen. It was that that's what mothers and daughters do. Well, we only have a few minutes left. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how there are some some truths in this novel that feel really universal. This novel was also really groundbreaking because, as Shishwen was saying, we don't have enough novels written by Asian-American authors. And we certainly didn't when it was published in 1989. I mean, this was was groundbreaking in so many ways. Let's talk about the legacy of this novel. It's been more than 30 years now. I'm, I'm so glad to to reread it and find that I still love it. And it still resonates with me just as strongly as it did the first time I read it. And again, I'm a mother. And so it, it reads differently a little bit now. But thinking about the legacy of of this novel and of Amy Tan. Uh, what do you think this novel means now? Lynn, you want to go first? I think it's very possible to read something from 30 years ago, from that long ago, and have it be very, very cringy, you know? Um, but I could read it as a completely contemporary novel, except for people smoke inside. That's a little bit dated. There's not a cell phone to be found. Um, and I think, you know, it's so recognizable to us because that she partially created the literary world that we exist in um, by being such an influence herself. So and, you know, her themes are enduring. I mean, mothers, daughters, you know, sadly, war refugees, people immigrating for a better life, generational conflict. Um, I think her real contribution is a lot of younger creative people got to see themselves in the pages of a book and then they went out and, you know, wrote their own stories. And so there's this proliferation of stories. And Kevin Kwan, author of Crazy Rich Asians, says exactly that, that he read The Joy Luck Club and that was the first time he saw himself on the page and that inspired him to become a writer. And we're so grateful that that he was inspired. And so I, I would love for just in 30 seconds, each of you to to add on to what Lynn was saying. Shishwen, what, what do you think the legacy of this book is? I just wanted to say that, you know, when I heard about this book and, you know, in Amy Tan, it was like the first Amy I know, you know, and when my friend's daughter was named Amy, I said, oh, it's like Amy Tan, the author, you know. And then I didn't realize that at that time when I started writing myself and, you know, I was thinking about her storytelling, you know, how her voices and how important that is to to have your own voices and um, to stay true to you and write write about that with your own voice and your own heart. Yeah. Jen? It was one of those books, and I don't think this happens often to me, um, where while I'm reading it, I can recognize that um, there's so much going on. And I know I'm only getting sort of one message at this point in my life, but I'm convinced that if I read this five years from now, 10 years from now, it'll read as a completely different book. And at first that was a tiny bit overwhelming for me. I was trying to remember all of the little details and map out all of the different stories and how they relate. And then I just sort of let myself just sink into the book and said, okay, I'm going to take away what I need to take away at this point in my life. I can always come back to it and I'm sure it will have, you know, more lessons. And I, I really didn't, um, 
think about it as being uh, an older book. It, it read to me as very contemporary as well. Well, Christine and I can can both confirm, yes, it reads differently when you come back to it again and again. And just very briefly, Christine, uh, what do you think the legacy of the Joy Luck Club is? The one thing that read differently to me was uh, she mentions racial differences in the younger generation's marriages as um, this was never the problem. The problem was always people who were ill-suited to each other. So the marriage failed not because of racial differences or the way they were responded to, although they pretended that was the problem. It was that they were ill-suited to one another. And I think in today's world, I just wonder if Amy Tan would be writing interracial relationships the same way, and particularly if she were writing in Iowa rather than in San Francisco. Christine Munoz is a professor at the University of Iowa. Also with us today, Jennifer Haylett, an associate professor of instruction at the University of Iowa, Lynn Nugent, editor of the Iowa Review, and Shishwen Collins, author of the novel Flowing Water, Falling Flowers. Thank you to Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City for providing books for our readers. The Talk of Iowa Book Club is produced by me and Matt Alvarez. I'm Charity Nebbe.